So this morning, we are going to wade into deep waters again. Probably getting used to that from me. One student told me last night that they have never felt more comfortable feeling uncomfortable in sermons. So it's a good, good place to be. Um, and, and you know that I'm, I'm probably striking the right balance if I'm both frustrating you and encouraging you at the same time throughout a message. If you're only hearing one side, then it's probably inaccurate or unbalanced. And so the truth, the true truth, the nothing but the truth will confront both us, confront us and encourage us, as I've said more times than I can count at this point. This morning, as you probably picked up, we're going to get into talking about sin. What is sin? And the thing that I've said to you a few times, I want to say it again, is that it's important for you to know that every single one of us here has been lied about sin. I've been lied to my whole life. We're, we're born into a world that lies to us daily about sin. And the tricky thing about lies is that when you first hear them, they sound preposterous. And when you think about different reg- regimes throughout world history, how could they or how did they eventually brainwash their society to believe a lie? And when you think about Nazi Germany, at first they, they start putting out on literature and loudspeakers that the Jews are the ones who are making their society go down and messing up their economy and so forth. And, and when you first hear these lies in the beginning, you're like, that's, that's stupid. Then you hear it another day and then another day. And then you have an experience with a Jew maybe that, that you didn't really like. And, and then, then you hear the message again the next day or the next month. And then you're like, yeah, that's, that's uh, and then another month goes on, another day, and then, yeah, yeah, I think, I think that may be right. And then eventually you own it, and that which you found reprehensible, unimaginable a year ago, now sounds good and true and right. And that's the nature of sin. And that's the nature all of us have fallen into, the trap that all of us have fallen into. There are things that a year or two ago, you believe now and you do now, that a year or two ago, you could not imagine you doing now. That if your past self could come to your future self, they'd be like, what are you doing? And then your current self would say, well, this is true now. This is normal now. And what happens is sin has this powerful lullaby that lulls us to sleep. And that which seems wrong at first seems right over time. So we've all been lied. And this morning, we have the privilege of actually going into one passage primarily in John chapter 8. And I love that. You know, one of the the challenges of trying to preach through a whole gospel of John is that I have to go through a lot of stories. And one of the things that comes with that, one of the negatives, is that I'm doing a lot of quick speaking and I'm rehearsing a lot of things. I'm, I'm summarizing a lot of chapters. And the danger of that is that you start to become dependent on the speaker to be able to tell you God's word. And the beauty of being in one chapter is that we can look at the Bible and you can get go to the source and you won't get the false impression that you need me to be able, be able to understand truth. And you guys can do this on your own with your Bible. But when I'm trying to preach four or five chapters, I can't go as verse by verse as I'd like to bring you to the source. And so I just want you to know that the, the, the way that we speak at camps and conferences is not natural and is not sustainable. You need a steady diet of God's word, slowly looking at God's word with trusted people, not some guy that you've never met before, you know? And so, before we get in, I want to pray like we did yesterday. 
And one of um, the youth leaders here just told me that there was a, um, a pretty horrific um, missile strike or bombing uh, with some refugee camps in Ukraine. And in my church, we have Russians and Ukrainians in our church, and so this is something that's been really close at home. And I know, I don't know about you, but sadly, the news cycles dictate to us what is important. And the news doesn't talk about Ukraine anymore, right? I remember when it first came, it was all that we thought about, kept checking. What's going on in Ukraine? What's going on? What's going on with Putin? What, what's going on? And then now, we don't really talk about it because the news doesn't talk about it. And what does that tell you? <laughs> it's that the news is telling us what's important. And I bring that up in order to honor those in here who have family in Ukraine and, and because I want to pray for that, but also because it's a reminder of what sin causes. See, when we reject the, the creator and try to be the creator, try to define tr truth, try to have autonomy from God and be our own God, like I said in the garden, what happens is the whole world became cursed and it's like the, the core of the earth was removed and so everything is falling in on itself. And if you read Romans 1, you see this picture that, that sin is, is never satisfied and it gets darker and darker and so people will always abuse their power. No matter what policy the administration creates, people will always abuse power, always break laws. People always, will, might will always make rights until Jesus comes and makes all things right. And so sin has this terrible, destructive pattern that infiltrates government and families and relationships and our minds and our bodies and our sexuality and our emotions, everything. And so one of the results of sin is war. It is Putin and is everything going on in the world and many other things. And so sin is real. It's not just something in the church. It's something that's affecting every news headline and things that don't make the headlines. So from that posture, I want to pray with you like we prayed last night. I want to start off praying for our own hearts. And so would you pray with me? Start off just saying, God, would you speak to me this morning? Would you open up your word? And, and I'm not naive to know that many of you here are still struggling with God. You're not sure about this Christ. You're not sure about Jesus. And if you're there, I just want to welcome you again to humble yourself if you can and say, God, if you're real, if you are truth, if you are life, I don't want to be deceived. If I'm lied to, if there's more to life than I know, would you speak to me and reveal that through your word? And if you're distracted, maybe things back home or things in your own heart or in relationships or rejection that you're experiencing at this camp, whatever it is, would you just say that to God right now? To God, I'm struggling right now. I'm distracted by this girl or this guy or I'm feeling hurt or rejected or I'm anxious about my parents back home or situation back home. Just be honest with God and tell him that that's what's on your heart. The word says that, that he cares for you so you can Give up to him all your anxious thoughts and your cares and your worries, your burdens. Just give them to him right now. Help me focus and help me hear your word, God. And then would you now pray for those sitting around you and people in your group. Pray that God will work in their hearts this morning. Reveal the truth. Would you now pray for the victims in Ukraine 
that God would work, God would heal, God would shine light in this horrific darkness. We pray also, Lord, that you would humble President Putin like you did Nebuchadnezzar, that he would humble himself and know that he is not God, that you would show mercy on this merciless man. He would humble himself before you and receive the gospel and that the revival fires would spread throughout Russia and you would show how mighty your power is to change sinners and redeem enemies. Would you now spend a moment to pray for me that I would be faithful to bring you the truth and nothing but the truth. Father, thank you that you always hear me, not because I'm so good or eloquent or anything like that, but because you've adopted me as one of your sons and you put your spirit in me and it cries, Abba, Father. And I so want every student here, every leader here to grow closer to knowing you, knowing the truth and the truth would set us all free. We're all on a spectrum of more or less bondage because of sin and the deceitfulness of sin. So I pray that this morning would be a morning that would expose the lies of sin. Sin would be exposed as like the little wizard of Oz standing behind the curtain, powerless and weak, yet we give it so much power. Pray, Father, your spirit would reign in here. And would you comfort those who need to be comforted? Would you challenge those who need to be challenged? Would you humble those who are proud? Would you give ears to those who have hardened hearts? Would you move right now, Holy Spirit, I ask, for your glory, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I think we will have our slides this morning, yeah, boom, all right, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Over and over again in the Gospel of John, you're gonna see these words repeated over and over again. Life, light, love. And this is what Jesus does. Does this language sound familiar to any passage we already talked about this week? Remember the first chapter we covered? Talking about the light shining into the darkness and the darkness could not extinguish or overcome the darkness. Remember, we were in the darkness, stumbling around in the darkness, could not see light, and so we need outside light to come rescue us out of the darkness. Now, the other day we skipped over John 3 and we're going to go back to John chapter 3. I want to share with you John chapter 3 verse 19, which is connected to this passage right here that we're in, in verse chapter 9. So John chapter 3 verse 19. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people love the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it, for fear their sins will be exposed. Yesterday we explored the truth of who Christ is, And so each section, we looked at Jesus, we then concluded, what does this tell us about the heart of Christ? What is Christ like? In like manner, we're going to be looking at sin, 
more specifically and then taking a step back and saying, what does this passage teach us about the characteristics of sin? But before we do, let's define terms. Let's, because we often, if you grew up in church or you've been around church or in camp settings, you'll hear Christianese words like sin or righteousness. And if you ask the average Christian what that word means, they will give you widely different answers. And they can't all be right because this is not insulin. This is insulin kind of truth, not ice cream kind of truth. And so right or wrong matters and there are evidence to weigh and give you clarity on what is true. So let me ask you this. What is sin? What is sin? When people say sin or when you see raving preachers on the sidewalk saying, repent of your sin, what, are they, what, what do they mean by sin? And not, not really what those crazy people say what is sin, but what does the Bible say sin is? Well, let me give you a basic definition that I kind of wrote out, trying to give you a concise definition that gets at the heart of sin that's a little bit better than missing the mark. Some people say sin is missing the mark or just violating God's word. And the best definition of sin I've ever read is about two pages. Uh, And I, I thought I've already go 55 minutes usually in these sessions and let's not do 65 this morning. So basic definition of sin that I kind of wrote out. You can write this down if you like. Sin is any action or attitude that communicates you value something or someone more than God in his ways. It's a little bit more um, intangible than just saying you did something wrong that was against God's law. Because at the heart of sin is that you are valuing something or someone more than God. So for every time you hear about some low-life man abandoning his family for some other girl or a secretary, what are they doing in that moment? They are valuing their sexual autonomy, their desires, their a new relationship more than their precious children. And if I know the stats as well as I do, and I know the people I pastor, a large percentage of you here are the result of broken families, infidelity, abuse, neglect. And whenever you see any of those happen in the family, it's always because someone is valuing themselves over God, valuing something or, or someone more than God and more than others. Sin is never solitary, where it's just something isolated. It always is communicating what you value most. And that's really important for you to understand, because when you start to understand sin is ultimately communicating what you glory most in, what you are satisfied in most, what you love most, then it gets away from, oh, oops, I did it again. I shouldn't have done that. Yeah, because what often we think about with sin is behavior modification. Oh, I shouldn't be cruel. I shouldn't be harsh. I shouldn't say that. I shouldn't lust. I shouldn't look at porn. I shouldn't say lies. But at the end of the day, if you don't get to the root issue that you value someone or something more than God, you will continue to repeat those patterns or recycle them into different patterns of sin. I don't have time to get into all that right now, but I just want to lay that kind of foundation So sin is any action or attitude that communicates you value something or someone more than God in his ways. Now, let's go back to John chapter 3. What do we learn about sin? I I read it earlier. Let's look at it again because I think it's so important to understand. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light 
for their actions. Why? This word for is an important word in the Bible when you read, especially in the New Testament. For is giving you the reason, the ground. Why do they love the darkness more than light? Because their actions are evil. And then verse 20 is going to tell us more. All who do evil, what do they do? Hate the light and refuse to go near it. Why? For, because their sins will be exposed. Sin loves darkness. Sin hates the light. Why? Because the light Jesus will expose their evil actions. That's why people don't watch pornography in the middle of the day with open windows. That's why strip clubs aren't out in the open and the lights are all on. Sin hides in the darkness because darkness is afraid of the light. Light cannot exist, coexist with darkness. The true biblical Jesus will expose our darkness and sin knows that. And I said this last night, if your Jesus doesn't challenge you, doesn't expose the darkness in you, you don't have Jesus. If you truly understand what this Bible teaches about anthropology or the study of man, then you know that you are incomplete. You need outside help. You need more than yourself. You aren't God. You have not arrived. How presumptuous and arrogant and proud that would be for us to think that we have arrived as a whatever age you are. We need help. We have darkness. None of you here, if I were to pull you and ask you intimately, have lived the full life that you would want to live. All of us have regrets. And people say, I have no regrets. That's bull. Everyone can look back at their past and say, I treated this person like I shouldn't have. I did this thing this one moment I shouldn't have. I'm ashamed of this. Every single person who has a conscience, who hasn't warped and shaped it enough, will affirm that in their most honest moment. But if your Jesus doesn't challenge you, then you have domesticated and created a lowercase God that exists to just affirm your every desire or act or plan. Listen, one of the lies of our culture that I was fed, that you're fed even more in your generation, is that love means absolute, unconditional affirmation, period. End of discussion, no matter what. And that just logically cannot work. The most unloving thing I could do for you and the most unloving thing God can do is 100% affirm everything about you always. Now, he absolutely, unconditionally loves you, but that is not the same thing as affirming everything that you do do. I really want to encourage you, campers, to fight back that lie. Our culture shoves that down your throat all the time. Love does not mean you affirm everything. That's unloving to affirm everything. That's assuming that person and every single person has arrived and everything that they desire is always gonna be right. And you just know logically that is not true even historically for your life. There are things that you look back at and you roll your eyes at who you were a couple years ago. You're like, I was dumb, right? You've all grown and matured, I hope, right? You're not, stayed, you're not in stasis staying the same maturity level. For, I mean, COVID, they say that that kind of happened, but you know what I'm saying? But like all of you have grown and matured in ways. You are all growing. So don't think that you've arrived. How presumptuous do you think that the last few years you've grown so much and then you, you've just arrived and you're never gonna grow until you, whatever? We're constantly growing. We're constantly making mistakes and learning. So it's only when we truly have the darkness exposed in us that we can actually know what it means to have light. When light comes, darkness has to go. 
but the darkness can't go until the darkness is exposed. And you don't have those first without exposing this darkness. Just like you cannot understand the magnitude of God's love and his grace towards you unless you understand the magnitude of your sin and your shame and what we deserve apart from God's mercy and grace. Let's go back to John chapter 8, 12. I'm going to be touching on some points and it's going to just build. So, so keep rocking with me. Uh, John 8, 12. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness. Oh, does any heart in here yearn when you hear that? You don't have to walk in darkness. Last night, I left this Hume show. Sorry for those who I missed, but I felt like I needed to pray for you. And I was walking to the heights, and there's this one dead spot where it's just like pitch darkness. You know, so I just started quoting Psalm 23, and I was just thinking, also, just how glorious it is to not have fear to not be afraid of the dark, both the dark physically, but also the dark of sin, the dark of my past and shame. You know, I, I, um, one of, in, in my, one of my groups at my church, um, there was a, a dear brother named Shupa. He's from Haiti. So he grew up in Haiti. He's only been in America for a few years. And I've been in Haiti in the past before the earthquake. And one of the things that is very common in Haiti is uh, demonic manifestations. And he said it was like a weekly occurrence where pe- demons would manifest and start saying crazy stuff and they would have to cast out these demons. And demons are really, really active in America. They just act differently. They're, they're more hidden um, because of our naturalist society and other factors. But so Shupa said this one thing that was like, oh my word, are you serious? He said that sometimes when the demons would manifest and take over these people's bodies and start talking, the demons would say, don't you dare try to cast me out because if you do, I'll tell everybody about your secrets. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Imagine if someone started manifesting a demon, start going crazy, and you want to pray in Jesus' name to cast them out, and right before you do they go, like, hold on, hold on, I know what you did last night. I know what you did last summer or whatever, or I know what you fear. I'm going to rat you out in front of everybody, don't you dare. And I heard that, and I got like a chill. I was like, dang, that would be like really intimidating for me. And then at the same time, I thought, praise be to God, I'm forgiven of all my sin. And praise be to God that I walk in the light because he is in the light, and his grace has brought me into light, and I don't have to fear darkness anymore. Last part, because you will have the light that leads to life. Remember, life, light, love over and over again in the Gospel of John. When we follow Jesus, he leads us out of darkness by his light into life. But the problem is we all love the darkness still in many varying degrees. And part of the process, the painful surgery kind of process of us walking into the light is the pain of the darkness, right? So just, just thinking of an illustration on the fly, imagine you know, when you think about World War Z or some sort of zombie movie, right? Every zombie is different, right? But in these zombies, they're in the darkness and if they get in the light, they like burn, right? But, but imagine in this case, uh, you're in the darkness, all of us are in the darkness, and the light is actually good. We need the light to save us. We need the light to restore us. But we don't know that because the light stinks. And so, so, so we're in the darkness. I'm kind of here more in darkness. And, and God is, Jesus is calling us into the lights, and we're afraid, and then you start trusting him. You take his hand, and he takes us out, and we're like, ah, you know, ah, ah, right? And then the more, okay, I trust you. Oh, that hurts. 
but it feels good, you know, right? And then as you, as you start following him, you start walking into more and more light and more and more it burns off the darkness. And, and, and you start to say, oh, I love the light. Why did I love the darkness? And over time, over time, you get closer and closer, you're more into the light. And you're like, I can't believe I lived in the dark before. That was trash, that was garbage. But the problem is when you're living in the dark for so long, if you're submerged into sin, darkness feels like normal and natural and good and right. And there's a, there's a burning process. And a lot of you students are going to go back home from this camp and you're going to be excited about Jesus and you're going to have a process where God's going to start, start snipping away like a good loving surgeon. Different things in your life that are keeping you from him, keeping you in the darkness. And at first it's going to feel like you're dying. I can't let go of that relationship. I can't let go of that vice, that addiction, that thing. And it's going to suck. It's going to be painful and God's going to be holding you through it all. And if you can bear with him, if you can trust him over time, that light will start giving you healing and life. But there's a process. There's a process you're going to have to go through. And some of you are going through this week. If you're feeling that dying inside of you as you're trying to walk into the light, that's good. That's a good sign. That's a normal sign because you're giving up your control. You're giving up what you think is life, which is a lie. Now, Jesus will continue, and he makes, makes this claim, and the leaders are not having it. They're like, what? You're the light? You're bringing people out of darkness? How dare you? How can you say such a thing? John chapter 8, verse 13. The Pharisees replied, you are making those claims about yourself. Such testimony is not valid. Do you remember how, in, uh, do, you, do you guys recognize that in the Jewish culture, for any testimony to be established, you need two or three witnesses? And do you guys remember that in the second talk of this week about the Bible self-attesting authority, that the Bible is the one book that does not need outside of authority to attest of its legitimacy, even though there's a lot of outside authorities that will also corroborate with the truths of the scripture? Likewise, Jesus is testifying of himself, and they're like, whoa, 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 Jesus, you can't do that. You can't do that. You need outside witnesses. So how does Jesus respond? Verse 14. Jesus told them, these claims are valid, even though I make them about myself. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you don't know this about me. Jesus doesn't need anyone to validate him. As the creator, he is self-authenticating. He doesn't need other people to tell him if he's worthy, but he does have someone else to validate him as a witness. Verse 17, skipping down a little bit. Your own law says if two people agree about something, their witness is accepted as fact. I am one witness, and my Father who sent me is the other. The Father approves of the Son. And we don't have time to go into the Trinity. I know that is complicated. If you want a book that's accessible but will change your life, it's called Delighting in the Trinity by Michael Reeves. It's one of the best books you will ever read. Seriously, it's accessible, and it will help you understand the Trinity if you're confused by it. Delighting in the Trinity. Anyway, listen. The Father approves of the Son. This is my beloved Son. Hear Him. When you, when you see the baptism of Jesus, you see all three persons of the Trinity at one time, the Father speaking approval from heaven, the Holy Spirit coming upon Him, and Jesus the Son being baptized and, and, and hearing this affirmation. Likewise, Christian, you hear, if you truly understand how precious you are to the Father and how much he approves you and what, how much God is for you, then you can be free of trying to constantly prove yourself and getting other people to validate you. There are a lot of challenges of being in high school. 
And if you're like many high schoolers that I was a youth pastor of, and when I was in high school, we all struggle with this constant approval trap, constant cycle of, do you, do you like me? Do you not like me? Am I cool enough? Am I not cool enough? What can I do to make you guys like me? It's exhausting, isn't it? Anyone want to admit that that, that is exhausting, right? People playing games with you constantly, not sure where you stand with them. Am I your best friend? Oh my goodness, I can't stand it. My, my, even my little girls at school are struggling with that, even in second grade, you know? Kids are like, she's my best friend now. And everyone's like, oh, you know, like, come on. You don't even know her name. She can't be your best friend, right? And even at second grade, they're already starting this like approval kind of manipulative cycle, toxic cycle. And listen, if you want freedom from that, the answer is not trying to become cooler or more popular or more good at sports or more acceptable or funny so people will think you're valuable, but knowing your value in God's eyes. And so it doesn't matter what they say about you anymore. Now, it's easier for me to preach that for than you to live that because it takes a long time to detox all the lies and grow in the approval of the Father. I'm still, I'm a recovering people pleaser. I'm 34 and I regularly have to be washed over with these truths because my society, my culture, and me and my personality as a performer and as a builder, it's constantly trying to find identity out of what people say. So it's just a lifelong process. Now, let's go to verse 21. Dying in sins. Would you read this with me, please? Let's, let's stay, stay alert and give me water break. Later, Jesus said to them again, Whoa, Jesus is going away soon, and these accusing Jews will die in their sins? Wow, that's really harsh. What does he mean by that? Let's keep reading for the answer. Let me, let me just remind you or tell you something. I haven't said this, Camp. Never read a verse. Never read a verse. What I mean by that is always read the context. A lot of times, students will get read one verse and be like, what does this mean? And they just read like two verses down, and the answer is there. But they get fixated on that because you're, you haven't been taught how to be careful readers yet. So read context. Verse 23, <clears throat> Jesus continued, You are from below, I am from above. You belong to this world, I do not. It's important to understand the, the distinctions that Jesus makes. Light and darkness, below and above. This world is complicated, and oftentimes Christians in the West often oversimplify complicated matters. Most evangelicals, or whatever you, that word means to you, oversimplify highly complex social realities. They don't speak with nuance. They don't understand both sides. They speak very blatantly, bluntly, and they don't understand the complexities of the world. But let me tell you this, that is, although that is true, what I just said, there are some things in the world that are absolutely black and white. Don't let the gray things in the world obscure the fact that there are such things as black and white, light and dark in the world as well. And Jesus is making that absolutely clear. You're going to see throughout this chapter and other chapters, Jesus does not say that there's ever in between. There's either dark or light. You're either of the world or not of the world. 
He doesn't mix categories. They're very distinct in his mind, and they, therefore, it should be distinct in our minds if we are letting him tell us what is true and define reality. If you don't understand this, you misunderstand much of the Bible, and you're going to regularly mix the truths of God and the lies of the world. And that's why we people have something called syncretism, where we take the Bible and we mix it in with animism or naturalism or some kind of ism or philosophy, and we make our own religion, our own God, because we're mixing these categories Listen, you can't be casual about Jesus in this book. You can't be like, it's pretty cool. He's a pretty nice guy. He said some good things, some things I love, some things I totally reject. You can't affirm other worldviews and say stuff like, you know, all religions are pretty much the same. They all are just trying to help people live better lives. No, the Bible will not have any of that. There is a clear distinction. We, we'll get there eventually, but Jesus says in John 14, 6, some of you know this by heart, I am the way, the truth, the life. There is no other way but him, and so this is something that you need to hear in a culture that is going to try to, dis, try to mix these realities and create their own truth. Let's have Jesus, but also Muhammad. Let's have Jesus and also you name the ism. But let's keep going because the passage is going to get clearer what Jesus is trying to say. Verse 24, Jesus says, That is why I said that you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am who I claim to be, you will die in your sins. Here's that I am again that we have looked at before briefly. I I skipped it last night because I was already going over. But John chapter 6, Jesus says these beautiful words, I am. And then he gets into the boat and the storm stops and they're all the way on the other side of the boat. Jesus is claiming he is Yahweh. He is the God that was there at the burning bush. He is the God that has been there from the beginning. He's the uncreated one. So what Jesus is saying is that you can't merely think you are good, that Jesus is good or try to live a good life. You have to understand and truly believe that Jesus is the I am. He's, the, he's Yahweh himself. And if you do not, you will die in your sins. What does that mean that you'll die in your sins? That means that you will not ultimately inherit eternal life because there will be a second death. We will all die, but there will be a second death, an everlasting death that will last forever. All of us will face the judgment one day, face God, and based on what we did with his son, will dictate the life we have forever. We're going to get to that a little bit more tonight, but let me help us understand a little bit more about dying in our sins. Look at verse 31 and 32. Would you read this with me? Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples. Man, I want to fall asleep to you guys reading. <laughs> I know you guys are tired. I'm tired too. Listen, I'm sleep. I know you guys are like sleeping with all these different people in your room and they're snoring and annoying you. I got four kids in my room. All right? Beat that. <laughs> Stick with me, guys. If you need to stand up and lean against that wall because it's harder to fall asleep while you're standing up, do it. All right? Yes. I, yes. Yes. I love it. I respect it. Just don't distract each other on that wall, okay? Thank you. No, seriously, I mean it. If you need to stand up, you got to do it because this is so important that you don't want to be caught sleeping. Okay. 
Verse 31 through 33, just read it. Jesus makes some really important claims here. True disciples are those who remain faithful to Jesus' teachings, not because they self-profess that they are Christians. We're going to see this over and over again throughout the Gospel of John. What makes someone a follower of Jesus is not merely because they self-profess that they're a follower of Jesus or that they're faithful, but that they do certain things, and one of those things is they remain faithful to Jesus' teachings. And when you know Jesus, the truth will set you free. We're going to get this in a moment, but the Jews, they don't understand this. They're confused by this. They don't understand that they need any freeing. They're like, what do you mean we need freeing? We're not slaves anymore. And I would also say that some of you are in the similar boat. I, I talk about the truth will set you free, and maybe some of you have thought, what do you mean, Sam? I'm not in bondage. I'm not in slavery. Why, why do I need any freeing? And the Jews are thinking similarly. I don't say this with smugness or arrogance or pride, but I mean it. Many of you, I mean this, are in bondage and you need to be set free. And I say that with a father's heart. I say that with a pastor's heart. I walk with so many different people from so many different walks of life and I know the sinfulness of sin, the darkness of sin, the the ruthlessness of sin and how it ruins marriages and ruins lives and destroys Everything it touches, and I want to see you set free from it. Verse 34, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So what makes someone in slavery? They sin. It's one of the most important truths you will ever hear. Listen, student, it's important you know that this is the truth, what I'm about to say, because you have been sold a lie. The lie is this. That sin brings freedom. The lie that you've been told your whole life by the serpent, by our culture, is that sin brings freedom. And that is one of the biggest lies you've ever been fed. This is the original lie that Adam and Eve fell into. They were fed the lie that God is stingy and not generous, and he was holding back good from them. And that if they really knew what was good and what was best for them, they should take the reins of their life. And decide what truth is for them. Decide life for them. Decide and be the one who drives the life, their life. Take the keys. They decided what was true, what was good. Freedom meant not having to listen to anyone. See, one of the lies is that you think that freedom means having less restriction in your life. Being able to do whatever you want to do, whatever you feel like doing. Do you actually know that there's such a thing called the Satanic Bible? You can Google it sometime. And you know what the number one commandment of the Satanic Bible is? Anyone know? Shout it out. Thanks for sharing that. And then everyone's like, how do you know that, bro? (laughs) I felt like everyone was like, how do you know that? Because you were here last year, right? Maybe I taught that. No? Okay, all right. Well, someone talk to him later to ask him how he knows that. (laughs) But that's cool. It's all good. It's all good. Because I'm going to expose that. That's a lie. I'm going to hopefully expose that's a lie. The number one satanic commandment is not worship Satan. (laughs) No, it's do whatever you want to do. Do whatever you want to do. Do whatever you want to do. And and if you are just have any semblance of logic and reason, you know that that's just not a good idea. Do you really want everybody in the world to do whatever they want to do? So what would that look like if someone has more power than you? and they do whatever they want to do. What happens if you tell a bunch of, of 
toddlers in a room. Just do whatever you want to do. <laughs> Here's some fire. You know what? We all know instinctively that the idea of doing whatever you want to do is, is, is not going to bring forth life and freedom. Maybe freedom for some people, but for most not, right? And that freedom will be short-lived. So the result of this lie about sin is freedom resulted in death, misery, Putin, all the kind of stuff that we are experiencing, everything that you and I have suffered under with parents that are not there for you really and abuse that you've experienced and bullying and all the kind of junk and crap that we experience in this life. Sin promises to set you free. It feels like freedom because you're doing what you want, but it never keeps its promises. I'm 34 years old and can I tell you something? Sin has never once kept its promise to me. And yet I keep listening to it. <laughs> How dumb am I? It has such a consistent track record. Imagine like a race, like the Kentucky Derby, or some sort of race that a lot of people bet on, money on. And imagine I'm putting a ton of money on this one racer, all my life savings. And you see me doing that, you're like, dang, Pastor Sam, you must have a lot of confidence in that racer. That racer must have won you a lot of money, right? Am I saying, am I right? Am I right? And I'm like, no, they, they actually never win. Never won. They, they actually have lost me every single time I've ever bet on them. Every single time. Then why are you putting all your money into this person? Why are you banking your life on this racer when they, all they do is lose and lose you money and wreck your life? Well, you know, they, they sound really convincing this time. They're telling me it's different. They're promising me the world. This racers, you got to hear them. They're really convincing. This presentation was powerful and persuasive. How dumb do I look, right? And yet that's how our relationship with sin, every single time we go back to sin, we do the same thing. It's kind of like Megan Fate said. It's like a, a hook, line, sinker. We get hooked on. We, we see this beautiful bait, this beautiful future that when I find this, get this food, I'm, I'm going to be so happy. I'm going to be so fulfilled. I'm going to have this, this, this sex or this relationship or this prestige or this situation or this money or whatever it is. And, and, and we, we, ah, we eat it. And for a second, for a split second, or even in rare cases of season, it seems so satisfying, so good. Like you're winning in life. You did the right thing. But then what happens? Right? You get pulled. And all of a sudden you're like, what is going on? And the the nefarious nature of sin is that sin will promise you the world, and the moment you listen to it, then it'll start shaming you and trashing you. You dirty person. How could you? How dare you? No one is as bad as you. And it's such an abusive relationship we have with sin. It's a crazy cycle, and if you ever experienced or seen an abusive cycle of relationships where you have a boyfriend or girlfriend who's so toxic, and they promise the world, and the moment the person comes near, they just start thrashing them emotionally or even physically, and then the, and everyone else is watching, saying, like, why do you keep going back to that relationship? Right, have you guys ever seen one of those, or at least watched a movie with that or something, right? And we all see, feel so enlightened, feel so wise, like, what are you doing? And yet, I'm going to look at you and say, what are you doing going back to sin? How many times are you going to let it thrash you and shame you and dupe you and lie to you and trap you and you're going to go back right back to that same relationship? That's what sin does. We believe him. This is a cycle that we see over and over again in our lives. It's the cycle where we feel bored or we feel empty or we feel depressed 
or we're feeling pain, and so we look to some sort of thing, a substance, a relationship, a distraction for life, and then we do get it, and it feels like life for a moment, but then afterwards we hit rock bottom, it wrecks us, it shames us, and then we're back where we started. In fact, we're worse than before, and so we need something harder and stronger to make us feel better, and then the cycle continues. You go back, I feel bad, I need help, I need relief, and so you go back to the sin, and then the sin makes you feel better for a second, but then it wrecks you, and then you feel worse than before, and so you need something harder, and that's why sin is never satisfied. It's a, it's a raging fire that you're there you're either putting it out or it's growing. That's why you're never going to see a student in your youth group walk away from Christ and stay in that same state year after year. They're going to just get darker and darker or they're going to walk back to the light. There's no neutrality. It will always demand more and more. It's a harsh taskmaster, never satisfied, always wanting more and will always abuse you and shame you. What promises you freedom will plunge you into a deep, dark cell. When we think the lie, we believe the lie that disobedience to God will actually bring you freedom, that actual, that very act is taking your freedom. We believe the lie that putting yourself in the driver's seat, Jesus, give me the wheel, whatever, right? You take the wheel is actually taking all your control, all your power, all your freedom away. It's a lie. It's one of the most insidious lies you could ever imagine. That's what sin does. But there is good news. Look with me, Romans, I mean, John 8, 36. So if the Son sets you free, you are truly free. It's important for us to camp on this for a second. I've shared before that Jesus' death and resurrection frees us from the penalty of sin. I shared this last night. So there's three Ps, okay? The penalty of sin, the power of sin, and the presence of sin. And with the presence of sin comes all the effects of sin like pain and death and destruction. I mentioned that last night. And so what happens is at the cross, Jesus dies for our penalty, and then he gives us his Holy Spirit, which gives us the power to fight sin. But we don't have perfect victory yet, because we still have a flesh, we still struggle. So it's kind of like this. When Jesus gives us his Holy Spirit, which we're gonna get on in uh, tomorrow's session about the life of the believer, is that the Holy Spirit is, is like giving you he gives you a new heart, new desires, and he gives you like a key. But the problem is, you don't have to always use the key. Sometimes you choose to stay in the dungeon, go back into the prison. So right now, the freedom that Jesus offers is true freedom. But it's not a full freedom because oftentimes we choose to go back into bondage, don't we? Jesus has purchased and given you freedom. But we often choose slavery again. And that's the reality for all Christians until Jesus comes back. And I just tell you, students, I don't know if any of you guys feel despairing over the, the challenges of addiction and shame and sin, but I told you last night that today is my 19th birthday. 19 years ago today in Brownsville, Florida, I was born again. And can I just say this? All right, thank you, thank you. I like when you clap, not because I feel good about myself, but because I get to drink water. So keep it coming. All right, all right, okay. Okay, listen. There are things that I used to do, the way I treated people, the way I looked at women and thought about them, the way I treated relationships that I cannot imagine that I used to do. And do you know why? Because the Holy Spirit has been working me. Listen, freedom 
is continual. It is progressive. And as you follow Jesus, you trust him, he's going to increasingly, like I showed you with this illustration, he's going to draw you out of the darkness and into light. And he's calling me into newer things that I never imagined I could ever do. And he's convicting me of sin that I never even thought I had in my heart back then. And he's just, it's a, it's a journey as he walks us and calls us into more and more light. Now, let's get to verse 37. I need to, I need to speed it up. Yes, I realize that you are descendants of Abraham. Remember, Jesus is talking to the Jews and he's trying to help them understand that they are in slavery. And yet some of you are trying to kill me because there's no room in your hearts for my message. I am telling you what I saw when I was with my father, but you are following the advice of your father. This is verse 37, 38. Notice the attitude toward Jesus is not casual. They want to kill him. They're not casual towards him because they're understanding and comprehending his claims. When you understand the claims of Christ, you cannot be casual about him. You have to make a decision about this man. But who is their father? Who is Jesus alluding their father is? And what we're going to see in the next section is there's two fathers. And you know who your true father is by your conduct. If you want to know who you belong to, look at the way you live and the way you love. Look at verse 39 and 40 with me. John chapter 8, 39 and 40. Our father is Abraham, they declared. No, Jesus replied. For if you really were really the children of Abraham, you would follow his example. Instead, you are trying to kill me because I told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham never did such a thing. So the Jews are incensed by this. They're insulted, and so they go personal. They go low. Verse 41 No, you are imitating your real father, Jesus, they replied. We aren't illegitimate children. God himself is our true father. They know the story of the virgin birth or the so-called virgin birth. They're basically calling Jesus a bastard. We're not a bastard like you. Who are you to say anything like that? You have no father. Your mother hooked up with someone and made up this story about a virgin birth. (laughs) We're not stupid. Jesus says to them, if God were your father, you would love me because I have come to you from God. I am not here on my own, but he sent me. One of the marks of being of God is that you love Jesus. Verse 43, why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't even hear me. For you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it's consistent with his character. For he's a liar and the father of lies. Satan loves lying. It's his natural language. It's his love language. Have you ever taken the five love languages? His love language, his gift, his spiritual gift is lying. What is a sign of being of God? Look at verse 47. Anyone who belongs to God listens gladly to the words of God, but you don't listen because you don't belong to God. Are you, are you noticing what Jesus is doing? Is he saying there's two kinds of fathers, and if you want to know what, if your father is of the devil, is the devil, or God the Father, you look at the way you live. And what is one of the signs he shares? A mark of being of God is that you gladly listen to God's word. If you don't love God's word, you neglect it, don't know it, this should be a serious gut check to all of you here who confess and profess that you are a Christian. If you are a Christian here, You're saying you gladly listen to God's word. You love God's word. Those who belong to God love his words. That is why one of the most common fruits of new baby Christians is that they have a voracious hunger for God's word. They just love this. They can't get enough of it. 
Now, the Apostle John expands on this a few years later in 1 John, and I'm going to read it without comment because he, he explains it pretty well, but there's a lot here. Would you read this out loud with me? We're running out of time. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. So now you can tell. You guys are on two different speeds. This was audible 1.3, and you guys are at 1.1 or whatever. <clears throat> the Apostle John is not saying Christians don't sin. Later on, even in the First uh, John, he says that if anyone says they have no sin, they're a liar. Truth is not in them. But notice this language, practice of sinning, keeping on sinning. One of the marks that you've been born again and you have a new father is that it transforms your heart and over time you progressively more become more and more like Jesus. You walk more and more into the light. So listen, if you've been a Christian your whole life and you still are the same and you're not more like Jesus year after year, then that should be a warning sign to you. Verse 48 of chapter eight. We're going back and we gotta end this. The people retorted, and they're going to get really low. Remember I told you how much the Jews hated Samaritans? You Samaritan devil! Didn't we all say all along that you were possessed by a demon? These are harsh words. They're using racial slurs now. Remember, when you truly understand the claims of Christ, this is the kind of stuff that comes out of the heart. They hate, they belittle, they attack. Verse 49. No, Jesus said, I have no demon in me, for I honor my father and you dishonor me. And though I have no wish to glorify myself, God is going to glorify me. He is the true judge. I tell you the truth. Anyone who obeys my teachings will never die. We learn more here. A mark of a person who's a son of God is that they not only gladly listen to the word, but they obey his word. Some of you here know the Bible well because you grew up in church. Maybe you're a PK. You went to Sunday school and you're like, oh, I know the answer. I know the answer. But do you obey the answer? Right? Some of you here, I can sit down and you can tell me all the different Bible stories you know. You're like, I know that. I know. But do you obey his word? A mark of a true believer is that you take every word to heart and you're progressively obeying them, listening to his words because his words are life and light and love. Now we're gonna have to skip some dialogue, but it gets pretty heated and nuts and Jesus speaks about their forefather Abraham and then he kind of ends the section. Verse 55, but you don't even know him. He's talking about Abraham. Because they're all like, we're Abraham's sons, all right? That's our dad, that's our guy, that's our ancestor. Jesus says, I know him. If I said otherwise, I would be a great liar as you are. But I do know him and obey him. Your father, he's talking about God now, your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. He saw it and was glad. Jesus is saying that Abraham saw Jesus coming. The people said, you aren't even 50 years old. How can you say you've seen Abraham? And then this is where Jesus goes crazy. He says in verse 58, one of the most important things that you'll ever hear Jesus say, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was even born, I am. Remember that passage from Exodus. Jesus declaring that he is Yahweh. He's always existed. If you ever wondered, if you were interpreting this passage rightly, just look at how the Jews respond. Verse 59, at this point, they picked up stones to throw it at him. But Jesus was hidden from the men, left the temple. 
the Jews understood what Jesus was claiming about himself. Do you? Do you understand that Jesus' claims are absolute? They're insulin truths. You have to make a decision. What will you do about this Jesus? Will you bow the knee to this Jesus? Will you love this Jesus? Will you listen to this Jesus? Or will you domesticate this Jesus? Warp this Jesus? Salad bar this Jesus? But according to Jesus, the problem here with the Jews is that they were slaves to sin because their father was the devil. So what we need here, okay, for all of us here, what we need is not just new behavior. We need a new heart and a new family. You need a new family, you need a new heart. And I'm not talking biological. Let me share one last passage, John 1, 12. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So listen, when you truly believe and accept Jesus for all who he is, you are given the right and the privilege to be adopted as a child of God. And when you're born again into this new family, you have a new father, you're given a spirit with a new heart, new desires, and he increasingly sets you free from the dungeon of sin and brings you into the life, light, and love of Christ. And anyone here, this is the good news, anyone no matter your background, no matter your present, if you want to be part of this family, you can be part of this family. You will never be rejected from Christ. Whosoever comes to me, he will never cast out. John 6, 37, that's a promise. You can have Jesus if you want him, but you have to reject the lie that sin is freedom, that that sin is control. Sin is not freedom, it is bondage. Surrender to Jesus, in that surrender, paradoxically, you will find freedom. And all of you can have this. But the big problem we have, listen, is that we still got to deal with our sin. It's one thing to recognize the lie of sin, but you also have to deal with the penalty of sin. And that's what we're going to get into tonight. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word. And I thank you, Lord, that I, I believe that your spirit is starting to expose the lies of sin in our hearts more and more. Help every student here and every leader walk away with a greater urgency and a hatred towards sin and a suspicion towards sin that sin promises freedom but it traps us into dungeons. Help us walk out of that darkness into your marvelous light. Be with us today as we hang out, as we talk. Stir up good conversations. I pray that people would be honest and humble and that increasingly the, even these students would minister to each other and encourage each other into the light, life and love of Jesus. Again, if I said anything in error, please correct me, but all that is true and right from your word, let it deeply transform us and stir our hearts to worship. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Thanks for your attention.